Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. He's to the 45. He's oh, to the 50. Oh, no, he's not. No, he's not going to plant it in midfield of the O, is he? Wow. Yes, he is. Rattler again to throw it. Steps up in the pocket. Throws on the run. Alright guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host, Kamehameha. I'm Robbie and joined with Jack Shields and special guest, JP from Fear the Wave, Tulane. My goodness, man, it has been one hell of a week. Uh, we were just talking before the podcast, before we started recording about how you're not down there necessarily on the coast, but you know... Noel's and everybody's thoughts, their minds, friends, family, etc. Like, what's it like? What, what's what's going on? Like, what's it like for like? Because like you know, we're in our bubble in Oklahoma, and we like to think we're all meteorology experts because of tornadoes. But what happens in those tropical storms and hurricanes is completely different. Especially, you can still see the aftermath of Katrina now, and now with Ida there. What can you give us an idea, a picture? Man, this was a really crazy week, and and you know, full disclosure, I of course I went to Tulane. I love New Orleans. I no longer live in town, so I did not experience it firsthand. But obviously, have a lot of friends and folks who were there. And yeah, I mean, this was a catastrophic weather event. It was an extraordinarily strong hurricane that rolled in, and not only was really strong in intensity, but was really slow moving and produced extraordinarily high wind speeds and so you know there was a lot of discussion before this game would it happen would it happen in new orleans we were just talking before the show started rolling this really was the marquee game in the history of Tulane's new stadium yolman which opened in 2014 there was a huge amount of local excitement obviously the saints are about to start playing real games i mean there's a lot of stuff that that comes up in september but hurricanes are a risk and and you know with really high wind speeds there was a ton of damage to critical infrastructure, particularly power lines and transmitters. And so, yeah, the, the folks in New Orleans right now are grappling with the fact that they don't have power, that they're trying to get that back online. It's coming back a little bit, but a lot of folks are still dealing with the consequences of that. And then for us in our bubble of the sports world, you know, it immediately turned to the question of, will Oklahoma and Tulane be playing football? And, right. you know, I think to the credit of both Tulane and Oklahoma that they got creative. They dealt with the situation where, Folks in New Orleans didn't have cell service at times and other communications were, were knocked out. They still got a deal done uh, to basically make this game happen. And, you know, I think that's a real positive for both of these teams, again, in the, the smaller lens of sports. But we're going right. to get to see this game happen on Saturday. 
Yeah, and one one of the things that is just interesting because right now I should be on my way down to New Orleans, right? Yeah, I was gonna be down I was there. To have a bachelor party this weekend. In New Orleans. Yeah, it, we're it's gonna be so down many there. People, bachelor parties, bachelorette parties. I saw someone. I think it's Joe uh, Butner. I, I might be pronouncing his name Butner. wrong, but he was saying uh, his wife was going on a <laughs> bachelorette party yeah. that now is in Oklahoma City. You know, it's tons of people had that experience and. You know, I'll say this, that there are a lot of Oklahoma fans that have communicated with us this week and that we, we've known from Twitter and stuff who have been really nice about the situation and have looked for opportunities to make donations to New Orleans. And while this wasn't necessarily the same consequences as you saw with Katrina, this was a really extreme weather event that was extraordinarily disruptive for a lot of folks in New Orleans. And so for people looking to make donations, not only to the school, but even more importantly, to the greater New Orleans community, that's a really amazing thing. And I think that Oklahoma fans who are doing that deserve a huge pat on the back. And, you know, it's great to see that football can produce that that kind of connection. You know, speaking to what you were talking about, about how the storylines leading up to this game have all centered around the status of this game. I mean, in to some degree, at least. So, uh, you know, people like us covering OU football, we haven't had as much time as we'd like to sort of scout the opponent this week because it's, you know, the game itself has seemed uh, so secondary at this point. So, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, help us out a little bit, you know, um, personnel-wise, offensively, who should OU fans be uh, looking out for this weekend and who, what name should they know? So for Oklahoma fans who bought the $65 pay-per-view package back in 2015 or whenever that was when Tulane and Oklahoma faced each other, this is a really different team. And, you know, I think to, to a large extent, Oklahoma is a different team, too, when you talk about where we are from even a few years ago and, and where under Lincoln Riley, the Sooners have gone. But looking at our side of the table, you know, Oklahoma last saw Tulane really at the beginning of Willie Fritz's uh, coaching tenure at the school. And at the time, Tulane was really mirroring a lot of things that he did at Georgia Southern. It was a really run heavy offense. In many cases, we were passing or sorry, rather Uh, rushing the football about 80% of the game. We actually really didn't have a true quarterback who could throw the ball, who was kind of that two-way player until maybe his third or fourth season when Jonathan Banks joined the program. At the time, Tulane really didn't have a lot of optionality when it came to what it was going to be doing with this kind of triple option style attack. And, you know, if anyone remembers that game, we do because it was such a crazy game. Tulane came out and it was like 14-14 in the first quarter. And we're like, whoa, <laughs> this might be mm-hmm. really interesting. And then it became a 56 to 14 game. So that was where things were coming from at the beginning. Now, fast forward to today, Tulane has now gone to three back-to-back-to-back bowl games, which for Oklahoma fans out there, you may be thinking, okay, making a bowl game, you know, the, the Armed Forces Bowl or whatever it is, is that really a big deal? In the history of Tulane athletics, this is the first time in history that Tulane has ever made three consecutive bowl games. And they hope to do the same thing or better this year. Willie Fritz has taken Tulane to a much more stable place where while they have not been a world beater in the AAC of the level of a UCF or a Cincinnati, they have taken this step into being a rock solid program that has been able to compete with some of those better teams in our league. Now, getting to your question of what does Tulane look like as a team, I think that as you look at the personnel, there's a few things that I would really circle. And I talked a little bit about how those early Willie Fritz offenses when he came over from Georgia, Georgia Southern were pretty limited in, in what they could do, especially against a, a team with the physicality and talent of an Oklahoma. The difference now is that we've really changed the complexion of this offense. And it started with our offensive coordinator, Will Hall, who's now gone on and become the head coach at Southern Mississippi. 
Uh, and now this year, Chip Long, the former Notre Dame offensive coordinator, will be calling his first ever game for Tulane in this matchup. And so you'll see a lot more passing. This will be much more of a kind of modern college football offense. And a lot of that comes down to Michael Pratt, who's the second year quarterback who had an outstanding freshman season last year. I was going to ask about Pratt. I was trying to do some research on Tulane's offense, and I saw that he has he had a hell of a season last when they let him loose. And especially for a true freshman that, you know, with the year extra year of eligibility is still labeled as a freshman. I think that's, you know, that's quite a start. And like, like he said, you know, Oklahoma, Willie Fritz, it the things are different. Things are different. And I think it's also interesting to acknowledge that, you know, a former SEC team is going to play a future SEC team. You know, that's always important to acknowledge. But we, we talk about the offensive side of the ball because scoring is fun. It's fun to score points, especially, you know, like you get in the end zone, everybody cheers. What about the defensive side of the ball? Because Pratt is the guy. Like anything I Google with Tulane's name on the offense, Pratt's the one that everybody's always looking forward to. Dual threat guy that can take you up and down the field, open space guy, really, really athletic. What about the defense? What what What's changed? What's different? What are names that people should look out for? Are there headhunters? Is it, is it, uh, are, are the parts better than the sum? Is the sum better than the parts? So what's going on there? Yeah, you know, I think that this is, I'm going to say this, some people are going to roll their eyes at this, but I think that the complexion of Oklahoma's defense of having such a strong front which obviously I think for Oklahoma, this is one of the best defensive fronts, if not the best defensive front in college football coming into this year. For Tulane, that's really where the Green Wave has hung their hat for the last year or two. And I would say that's going to be true this year. Now, Tulane lost two NFL draft picks off our defensive line. If you're a G5 school and you're losing two draft picks off of a unit, usually that's a really big deal. And that was Patrick mm-hmm. Johnson and Cam Sample. Now, with that being said, there's some talent that's really coming in this year that I think can plug that up. Uh, Jojo Dorcius is an example. He's an FBS transfer from Memphis where he was an outstanding player. He'll be starting according to the two deep that we just received today. But really, I would say the most exciting part of this defense is the linebacker core. Uh, and there's really four guys in that linebacker unit who are uh, qualified starters. And that includes uh, Kevin Henry, who is an Oklahoma State transfer. That includes Nick Anderson, who I think is kind of a veteran defensive leader of this team. Marvin Moody. Uh, I mean, there's just some really amazing guys who I think are going to make some impact and maybe surprise some people on the Oklahoma side. I think the big question, though, is, you know, you've got an amazing quarterback who has their eyes in the Heisman this year and Spencer Rattler. I think the question is, can you generate pressure and can you match that pressure with the secondary uh, to really keep Tulane in this game and and put some pressure on this defense? I, I think last time what was clear was that Tulane didn't have the offense to catch up or to stay with Oklahoma. And that's just the truth last time these two teams played. And I don't think that that's a foregone conclusion this time. I think we're a 31-point underdog. But I think that this has a lot more firepower as a team on the offensive side. And it doesn't put the same kind of pressure on the defense to have a perfect game or hope that Oklahoma comes in and, and, you know, shows a ton of weakness and confusion and things for this being a week one game. You know, speaking of the offense, you know, we already sort of went over personnel how the program looks a little bit different between, you know, last time in 2017 uh, to now, but uh, schematically what can OU fans, you know, expect from Tulane's offense this time around in your opinion? Yeah. And you know, it's, it's kind of a question mark, Jack, because this is a new offensive coordinator and we're going to be seeing a new playbook for the first time. Now I will say this though, 
I think philosophically, there are a lot of similarities when we look at what Will Hall did for Tulane and what we expect Chip Long to do. And I think one of the reasons for that is these are two coaches who actually knew each other and, and grew up together. Chip Long and Will Hall were, uh, I believe they were uh, roommates when they were playing in, in D2 or FCS. They've known each other for a long time. They share a lot of philosophical components. And so when you talk about what that philosophy is, I think there's a few things that we're going to see from Tulane this time that are much different. Um, it was not uncommon to see Tulane actually passing the ball more frequently than we were going to run it. Um, now, I think a thing that has been very similar for anyone who knows anything about Tulane football is that there are some really great running backs in this team. A hallmark of the personnel who have been on these Willie Fritz teams has been the fact that Tulane has been really deep consistently at the running back position. And that includes guys like Cam Carroll and Ty J Spears. Uh, Spears had an amazing start to last season and unfortunately got injured it was a really challenging rehab for him to get back. He is back in time. So I think whether running the ball or throwing the ball, Tulane is going to be able to, to, you know, I think we have some, some playmakers in this team. I would say that if I'm circling one battle that is going to really define Tulane's success, it is the defensive line of Oklahoma against a offensive line for Tulane that has two freshmen on it. And that is going to be a really challenging uh, approach, I think, for this Green Wave team. One of my questions, I suppose about Tulane is it's a massive prestigious university. Um, the, I, I was looking forward to going to the stadium. I was looking forward to seeing all that stuff. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the, the, the uniforms, by the way, I'm, I'm so excited to see that. Cause I think Oklahoma's wearing their traditional road whites. Cause I want to see, you know, the helmets, the green wave, everything, all of it. One of the questions I wanted to ask is this, and Jack thought of it. I thought it was a great question. The Big 12 is going to melt down, like after this year. Just total meltdown. If Tulane had to make its case to be a member of the Big 12, let's say they add four teams instead of just completely just dissolve, what would you say to make a case for Tulane to be in the Big 12 along with Oklahoma State and all those folks for four years until they find another home. You can submit this response to the Big 12 office. I saw that uh, I saw that the Big 12 put out a press release right before we started recording where they basically were like, we had a meeting with the continuing members of the Big 12 to discuss <laughs> possible options to keep this league strong. You know how they continue? This is not my pitch, by the way, where I'm trolling them. <laughs> You can cut this part out, but I love the fact there is no league that puts out more press releases that basically just say, we're working hard to keep this league strong than the big 12 to them. That is a plan. Okay. So let's put that on the side, the, the, the bureaucratic <laughs> nonsense. Here's the pitch for Tulane. Tulane has, I think three major things going for it that if you're bi the big 12, especially I think are, are really interesting. One is that unlike a lot of the schools that are going to try to compete for this spot, we are in a fantastic metro area, really any way you slice it, right? Number one, Louisiana is one of the top recruiting states, which every school that's going to visit Tulane has access to. And I have to think that's one of the reasons why Oklahoma agreed to do a two for one instead of mm -hmm. a buyout game in order to play at Tulane in the first place. We saw that question over and over on Twitter of why is Oklahoma going to Tulane to play at a 30,000 person stadium? That, my friends, I think is the, the first big reason why. This is a recruiting hotbed, and having a presence there is a good thing for the Big 12 
when schools like Oklahoma State are going to be seeing their big brother start to lap them even more when it comes to recruiting and all the other components of running a top-notch football program, look, it just doesn't move the needle in the same way when you're talking about Cincinnati, Ohio, which I'm not saying that they're not going to get in, but it's a real value add for Tulane. Second, and let's be honest here, there's no other school that they could go after that holds a candle to Tulane when it comes to the, just the size of the institution when you look at things like the endowment, where mm -hmm. Tulane has more than a billion-dollar endowment. Uh, they're an AAU school, which for anyone who is unfamiliar with that designation, that means it's one of the top universities in the country, like a Vanderbilt or a Duke. Uh, and so in the past, that's been a reason that Tulane's been involved in these conversations because it's seen as, you know, an academic brand that brings some prestige to the conference and some name recognition. And I think the third thing for Tulane is that we're in a different position than we were 15 years ago. And while I wouldn't say that Tulane has really pushed the needle in the way that a Cincinnati has or a UCF, I think Tulane has shown that we're willing to put resources into building this program whether that's putting an on-campus stadium in place for the first time since the late 1970s, uh, or just making the commitment to improving anything from uh, you know, our video capabilities so that we can support national TV partners to the on-campus facilities for students. So I think there's a lot of things there that I would put that, you know, I think Tulane, if I'm being honest with you, I think the challenge here, and I'll make the counter argument too, I think the challenge for these big 12 schools is that they have been able to live high and mighty because they're receiving TV checks that were primarily the size that they were because of the brand power of Oklahoma and Texas. And mm -hmm. I think that it's going to be a very short-sighted decision. I think what they're probably going to do if they choose to expand is they're going to take the schools who move the needle the most on TV today in the here and now, because that is their best avenue. And this is what we wrote in our blog. That's their best avenue to trying to minimize the damage that they're going to get when Fox and ESPN, their TV partners, ultimately come back and say, we're cutting the checks off. We're lowering the size. They need to come back and say, well, you know, UCF isn't in Oklahoma, but they're pretty good, right? That's kind of the argument that mm -hmm. I think they're going to make. But I think if they took a longer view, and especially if they're looking more at four teams or a bigger expansion, that would be my argument for why Tulane should be in the mix. I don't know. Do you buy it? Does that resonate at all? What do you oh, think? absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it. the other schools that are candidates don't hold a candle to them academically or geographically. I mean, and geographically, as far as, you know, the city itself is concerned and as a recruiting ground. I mean, I, I think you sold that perfectly. I mean, I commend you for that for sure. Yeah. One of the big things for me, like, and that's why I mentioned, like so academically prestigious, like out of all the big 12 schools, really like what, how many of them are AAU schools, KU and Iowa state aren't those the only two in the big 12? Well, it, it was Texas. Texas is leaving. So, you know, Texas, I think Kansas and Iowa State. Yeah, I believe those are the three. Yeah. And I mean, like the other two seven are really close. And, and, like, and like you said, it, it's a recruiting hotbed. And should they be elevated like it's like 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 University of Houston, just like them, should they be elevated to a power five status? My goodness. Only, like I can only imagine what kind of athletes they could bring in even more. Uh, especially under Willie Fritz, that's gotten his program kind of like really shaped up to what he wants it to be, going to three straight bowl games and stuff like that. I think that's a that's a good sell. I mean, I wouldn't mind trips to New Orleans, New Orleans every other year. I mean, I, I, I like in the Big Twelve, people look forward to what 
I mean, Austin and Norman, like, are you look, really looking forward to going to Fort Worth? Are you really looking forward to going to Ames, Iowa, or Lawrence, Kansas? Hell no. If I'm going to New Orleans well, and having a good time, oh, it's great. And just like, and just like all the culture there. Football, but it's great. It's fantastic. So, yeah, I, I would I would, I would, have, before OU and Texas decided to split for the SEC and, um, and join the brotherhood, I guess, of what Tulane used to be in the SEC, so we can claim that in some sort of aspect, uh, I would have enjoyed having Tulane instead of somebody like, I don't know, all these Texas schools that are redundant. I, it's, it's, it's like, why have Texas Tech? Well, I, I would have been fine with they subbing Texas Tech Baylor's for... Spot long ago. Yeah, oh, my God. Talk, preach. Preach about that. <laughs> no joke. Seriously. You ain't wrong there. So, uh, JP, what's your favorite thing about New Orleans? I, I can't let you out of here without you giving your thought on I mean, so I'll, I'll say this because it's a podcast and probably people are listening to this. I'm 30 now, so it's a different answer than when I was 20 or 19 yeah. and I was going yeah, to school there. I feel there. that in my bones, yeah. <laughs> Which that stuff is still good. It's still extraordinarily fun. But, uh, you know, for me, it's really the food. It's just there's no place in the world that I've been to that pound for pound per capita, there's as many places to go to that really touch every part of you as a person. You know what I mean? Uh, but, you know, I think the other thing for me with having gone to school there, I feel extraordinarily lucky because it's an incredible community, whether you're looking at Tulane or New Orleans more broadly. And it's been so much fun, you know, even now having moved a couple of times to some different States along the way, just being able to, to go back and people are having weddings and, and, you know, or going back for games or whatever it is, there's always a reason for me to come back. And, and that's been something that I've really appreciated over the years as I, uh, as I get older. Definitely, man. It's, it's an awesome place. Lots of culture, lots of vampire tours, lots of, Interesting stuff yeah. going on down there. There's there are oh, vampire please. tours. Yes, I can do vampire vampire tour. I'll tell you what. Yeah, so man. Actually, oh, True Blood. I guess there you go. They do. Uh, they do like haunted history tours. And I actually yeah. looked at doing this when I was in college because you you have to pass a test. But if you do it, it's it was pretty good money. But I I never I never got up the courage to go. You have to get certified in your vampire history before you can do it. Uh, but once. New Orleans has some some interesting regulations that you don't you can drink on the street, but you got to know your vampire history if you're going to tell tourists about it. It's a real zig and zag kind of situation. That's interesting. Well, That's JP awesome. man, we're not going to take any more of your time. Thanks for joining us, talking Tulane football, talking New Orleans, talking everything else. Before we let you go, tell us and everybody else listening where they can find your stuff and everything at Fear the Wave. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure, guys. And and one question: Are you guys go? Are you are you gonna try to go to the game this weekend, or what are you I'm doing? I'm going. Yeah, you're going. I'm awesome, gonna be yeah. going as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I uh, I'm very jealous, uh, but you know, it's I think it's exciting that Oklahoma seems to be planning to actually do a return trip. So make sure you do that as well. Oh, I'm, uh, if you're I'm out there listening, sure. I'm in. Uh, we're Fear the Wave blog on Twitter. That's where you can read our bad tweets. I promise we'll keep it fun on Saturday. I but promise. Way more importantly, I promise. <laughs> we, uh, we're currently doing a GoFundMe. Uh, I'm about to jump on and do a live podcast. I know that people will be hearing this later, but this will be up for a few days. We're doing a GoFundMe for the Second Harvest Food Bank of New Orleans. Um, great cause. It's going to help people there who are going through a challenging time. Go to at Fear the Wave blog. You'll see it as our pinned tweet. Uh, if you're in a position where you can do, donate, we'd really appreciate it. So thank you guys very much for having us on. It was great to talk to you. Hey, it's you same too. for you. And next time we'll see you around and have the same conversation again and hopefully sometime in the near future. Appreciate you. See you guys. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. Buying insurance can be complicated, and you might have a lot of questions, like what if my policy doesn't cover that? Or what if I need to make a claim in the middle of the night? Good news, State Farm is there for all your what ifs. You can reach them 24-7, talk through any questions with your agent, and you can even file a claim on the State Farm mobile app. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com to get a quote today. All right, so Jack, we just had JP on, and I've been, man, I've been thinking about New Orleans a lot lately. Like, making we, me sad. I was supposed to have a big time down there this weekend. You too. Yeah, we were gonna go down there. Night. Gonna go visit some night. friends. Uh, gonna, I was actually going to, had an Airbnb, um, in Covington's that would, that's north of Lake Pontchartrain, just down, you could just drive down into New Orleans because I'm not trying to stay in a busy place. And was actually gonna, gonna be, uh, kind of hanging out with my, with my guy Brady Trantham and, uh, get tattooed and all that stuff. And then I been gonna get a tat? Yeah, gonna gonna finish that sleeve on the left arm um, by by the same tattoo artist that's done most of my work, and uh, I've been trying to reach those folks, and it's radio silence, man, and it's uh it's like like JP said, it's it's kind of it's it's scary, it's 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 puts things into perspective. I it mean, really does. Whole game situation isn't really that important, but you know, one hundred percent down there. Again, I, that's why at one point the other day I was thinking, man, we are, we're still thinking about football right now. Like this is war, this is worse than Katrina, and but it's at the slower. Same time, football—that's one of the main purposes of you know sports fandom. It's a distraction. It's true. I mean, it's good. It's good for the mental health in in some aspects. Sometimes it's not so great for the mental health. I mean, a squid kick kick against uh, Georgia comes to mind, but um, Yeesh. anyway, I digress. But what did you? What do you think about what he said about Willie Fritz coming into the program when Oklahoma played them not that long ago into where they have evolved now? How, how do yeah, you think that would be a test? Yeah, they were one-dimensional offensively at that point, I remember, in 2017. You know, they were going mm-hmm. against the Mike Stoops defense, so they were still able to have some early success. So right. I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm not going to make myself upset right now. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the offense is a little more, you know, diverse. I mean, there's there's the threat of the pass. I mean, they didn't throw it downfield a whole lot against OU last time, even though they probably could against that defense. But uh, anyway, you know, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. And like he said, you know, um, uh, Chip Long uh, being the def- offensive coordinator, it's going to – it's the look that they're going to give offensively is a bit of a mystery. So, I mean – you know, who knows? I mean, Alex Grinch isn't going to have that much to go on as far as that's concerned. I mean, he's he's got some film on Chip Long's offenses, but, I mean, he doesn't necessarily know how he's going to utilize all of those things at Tulane. So, I mean, right. it's a bit of a mystery. So I could see 
Tulane maybe in the first few possessions having a little bit of success against OU's defense, and that wouldn't necessarily be an indictment of the OU defense in this case. So, and they have a lot of motivation and emotion going into this game. Uh, yeah, I, I would imagine that would serve several purposes. And there's, I, I think there's a lot more writing on this game than just a football game. There's, there's so much more to, to what is going to happen Saturday than just between the goal lines and the goal posts it it'll be intriguing uh, i think that'll probably be the loudest standing ovation of fans of an opposing team that will have ever probably since walked army, through since yeah. army of course yeah uh, and, ago, but still yeah it'll be it'll be something similar to that it'll be it'll be special um and i'd like like you said earlier uh, i think before we started podcasting i hope that ou does more than just uh, give Tulane, all the proceeds from the game. I hope there's more fundraising that involves because, man, that that area was hit so hard. But we, uh, let's, they got depth charts out today. There's, there's rumors. Word of the day is or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or every year under Lincoln Riley's tenure. So that's fine. The first name I noticed, Eric Swenson at the top at left tackle. It's the oh, very man. first thing I noticed. And, of course, it's or uh, who who is his or? I don't even remember. Or, I've got it right in front of me. Uh, Wanya Morris and, uh, yeah, Wanya Morris. Yeah. Oh, no, because, no, 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 no. No, that's, uh, no, that's uh, right. Wanya now. is that right? Yeah. That's right, yeah. Anton Harrison. Harrison, I mean, I thought he was a shoe in to be a starter. Right. And, you know, here's the thing. You know, one or two games from now, he probably will be. But – you never know. I mean, they're all going to get a crack at it early on. I mean, it's, you know, Tulane and Western Carolina, you know, you can tinker with things a little bit. Now, when you get right. to Nebraska, they have a pretty respectable front seven as trash as the team as a whole collectively is. Their front seven is yep. not bad. They gave so, Ohio State fits last year. Well, yeah, exactly. That'll be an opportunity for OU's offensive line beating Bo's group to kind of sharpen the edges a little bit and, you know, get a little, uh, t- it'll be a test for them, but, uh, the stakes will be fairly low because, uh, OU will, uh, probably dominate all the other facets of the game, fortunately. So, uh, and if they've got, they've got three straight games in Norman and the four. good thing is about, we have four straight games in Norman and all three, you know, are in Norman, of course, unfortunately due to unfortunate circumstances yeah. and Bill beat Bo talking about how, you know, they just need to get the best five players on the field. All those guys are hand, handling their business well. And so you got Eric Swenson, Anton Harrison. You've got Tyrese Robinson over at right tackle, Eric Murray. Uh, you got Andrew Rame, who's been splitting a lot of time with Kong a lot center. Uh, you got uh, Marquise Hayes. You got, you got a bunch of Wanye Morris. You got a bunch of dudes. You got a bunch of guys that are capable of playing at a very high level. I... There are rumors that's of the beauty of this early schedule. Yeah, I mean, of course, especially especially with Western Carolina up next, which I know everybody's excited to pay that pay per view one last time before they head to the SEC network. But Hopefully there, one last time, yeah. there there are there are rumors of Andrew Rain being a a little bit under the weather, and so it appears as if that Robert Congle or Maybe a a thing or two for maybe this game, but maybe not not next game as you suggested. As far as lots of dudes getting reps, lots of dudes getting time. Like 
the goal of the first few games is this. Is, is the goal of the first few games just don't get hurt? Is that is that yeah. what I'm understanding? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, don't get hurt and give, you know, give your genuine contributors some reps. Those are the two big things there. The so two only you, things that really matter very much right here. Who do you expect to, at by after the Nebraska game, going into conference play, just on a whim, who do you actually expect to be those five stars on the offensive line? Okay, I'm going to say that Tyrese Robinson stays at right tackle. I'm going to go with that. Um, I'll go with Chris Murray staying at guard. Um, Rame, I think by that point, will be the guy at center. Uh, I agree. He's obviously at left guard. That's that's not really up for debate there. Uh, left tackle, that's what it all comes down to. There's three guys who you know, have a real shot at it. Swenson's a seasoned veteran with, you know, kind of low upside, but, uh, he's a know, great practice player. Time. So, I mean, it's, uh, obviously, you know, not Kamiar's favorite player, not necessarily mine either, but you know, a guy who understands the offense and a guy who knows what beat expects. Then there's Harrison who looked fantastic as a run blocker a year ago, maybe mm-hmm. left a little to be desired as a pass blocker, but you know, he can, these early games should help with that. And then Wanye Morris, who, uh, I think everyone thought would be, um, you know, a plug and play guy, but we're not there yet. So uh, that's going to be really interesting to see how all of that shakes out. And I don't know how much of I that mean, is. I'm say Harrison ends up being the starter at left tackle, though. And that's surprising because Wanya Morris was SEC freshman team, all play, all freshman team at Tennessee, yeah. and so part of me wonders if it's grasping the offense. He, because Bill Biedenboe likes to do a lot of different things, like run blocking on a pass play, just to confuse the hell of the defense. But also, you know, part of me wants, part of me wonders if it's motivational. Uh, seeing his name third down on that depth chart on the right tackle side, not even on not even on the left side. So I'm really curious. Side, yeah, yeah I, I'm just so intrigued by that. But that's that's a that's the good news that you have all of these bodies. And also, granted, which, he is in or with Tyrese Robinson. That's right true. So I think that's he, true. He, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe Tyrese can slide back to right guard where he was, but you know, he's going to have to prove that he's better at it than Chris Murray. So you know, we'll we'll see. Two Chris of the a seasoned veteran as well. Two of the names I feel very confident in that will start on the offensive line by conference play. Well, one will have been Andrew Ray at center. I feel very confident in saying that he will be the starting center. And I will also feel very confident in saying that Marquise Hayes at left guard will be there as well. The other three, just considering the amount of talent that Bill, Bill Biedenboe has collected, I'm not sure about. And I, I imagine they'll be able to flush those guys out and get those guys a ton of reps over the next three games. Uh, the Nebraska game, like you mentioned, I think will be tough because, like, like you suggested, their front seven—they're actually good. They're—they're they're not a joke. Like the the offense may not know the what the hell what they're doing. Roster, yeah. yeah, their offense may not and know what the hell they're doing, and they're cheating and not cheating well, and they still are not that great. Uh, but that defensive front seven is actually very good. They gave a lot of teams fits last year, and if you're not prepared for them. That could be an interesting game. Now, for OU's sake, they're very well versed and they're very well trained and they're very well 
uh, prepared on offense and defense, on their schemes and personnel. I expect OU to win that Nebraska game, but I'm saying if OU is struggling on the offensive line by Nebraska, I'm curious to see what that game will end up looking like. And let's go to wide receivers because I also found that interesting. And one of a friend of the pod, friend in general, uh, Keegan Renault, actually just randomly texted me because we 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 started this podcast a little bit late because we had to relocate. I got done at the chiropractor. You had to move locations. And I got a random text message, and Keegan says, oh, by the way, Jaden, uh, or uh, not Jaden, CeeDee Lamb was the X receiver at OU. And I thought, I was like, what? why are you randomly texting me this random statement without context? What What is what is the context here? And then he said, oh, well, Jaden Hazelwood's the X at OU. And is it just me? Or am I just far more excited for shiny new toys and seeing what Mike Woods brings to the program as well? Because you've got Jaden Hazelwood, Marvin Mims, Mike Woods as the guys first, of course, with most with oars next to their names. You've got injury rumors surrounding Theo Weiss, maybe keeping him out for a relative decent luckily, part of the, the season. Rumor, luckily, the original rumor of what the extent of that was is not true. So that's it's not too uh, serious. We can breathe a sigh of relief on that front, but he could miss some time. So yeah, some, some Which time definitely for Theo for his development. I mean, he was looking for a breakout year this year, which could still yeah. come. But uh, I think for the uh, group as a whole, I think they can, they can push through it for the time being. You got Drake Stoops on, uh, not too far down the list. Mario Williams. Uh, Mario Williams is listed as an or for a starting spot with Mike. Yeah, Woods. I think they're both burners. I mean, Mar. Yeah, Woods is gonna is what Charleston what we wanted Charleston Rambo to be. That's what Mike Woods is. We wanted that he is exactly what we all wanted Charleston Rambo to be. Mario Williams, it's a, he reminds me of Hollywood Brown's speedster, but gets off the line quick and has all the moves, can play inside, outside, stretch the defense. I mean, my God, when's the last time you've seen a wide receiver room this deep for any team, let alone Oklahoma? It's been a minute. I mean, they, I mean, Lincoln Riley's early years as the head coach and then as the offensive coordinator. I mean, obviously Oklahoma had some good receiver rooms, but the ones that he inherited, I mean, top to bottom, the depth and athleticism, not even close. I mean, the shape that this room is in right now is incredible. And that that is props to Dennis Simmons right there. Dennis Simmons, you, you would be hard-pressed to find a better recruiter at the wide receiver position in the country right now, other than, you know, you know, Alabama's wide receiver coach. They, they're doing a pretty good job over there. But yeah. uh, he's having is, a little bit of trouble with wide receiver recruiting right now with yes, the 2022 well, the class. Sport, 2022, there have been some tough breaks. 2023, not so much. 2023 is arguably historically great at this point. But um, anyway, you know, the overall upside and depth at this point can leave you nothing but excited at this point for this group. Even – even if Theo has to miss a little bit of time, I don't think this group is in much trouble. So I, I'm that's that's the position group I'm most excited to see on Saturday, honestly, just because of the upside and the depth and the number of guys that 
OU brings to the table this year. It's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And and on the flip side of that coin, because they have so much depth, and there's in with that depth is talented depth, not just just guys on the field that can catch a ball here or there if they're wide open. Guys that can go out and actively change games and make plays for you at those game breakers. Then you flip to the other side of the coin in which there's no depth, like almost none at the running back room where traditionally Oklahoma, my goodness, has been a beacon of running back success. And now you have, hey, probably one of the best, if not the best running back duo tandem in college football with Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray. But then... You had two guys get kicked off the team. Uh, two, one guy is ineligible. One guy transfers, and now you have Weatherman, Jaden Knowles, and other walk-ons. Who, you know, showed some nice things in the spring game. Granted, it's a spring game, but Todd Hudson yeah. is that the other one? Yes. And it sh- it just it gives me shades of that Baylor game a long time ago with Rep Bomar, where everybody was hurt. And Jacob Gutierrez came comes in the game and scores touchdowns for OU. All five seven, five foot seven inches of him scoring those touchdowns. That is a major concern of mine. Like running backs these days are a dime a dozen, and with the way the game is played, especially as running backs are increase, increasingly used, not just in the run game but also. In the past game, and especially in the Lincoln, Lincoln Riley offense, you have more opportunities to catch balls and to get hit more often. I do worry about those instances. And, of course, you have Jeremiah Hall maybe being an emergency running back in, in instances as well. How could, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being, like, A, like, I'm not worried, 10 being red alert, like, where's the button? Where are you at regarding the running back room right now? I'd say a 6.5 as far as we're right now. See, the thing is, as it stands right now, if this group that is currently there stays completely healthy, you have two all Big 12 caliber running backs, and then you have a couple of walk-ons who, you know, they're not going to be world beaters, but at the same time, they'll be running behind hopefully a great offensive line by the middle of the year, and they'll at least be serviceable at that point. And, you know, they'll be able to provide depth at the position. So if all four stay healthy, then I think they'll be fine. Having said that, it's the running back position, and uh, that's just wishful thinking. So if you lose one of Brooks or Gray, you're in some trouble, and you're going to have to call in the services of maybe a Brian Darby, which that wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing as far as the – position group is concerned i mean he's you know definitely has some pedigree there so uh and some uh experience at that position uh it reminds me of texas when they were using their quarterback as a running back not that long ago right correct um and you know like i said you know jeremiah hall you know kind of having to assume a little bit of that role which you don't want him to do because he's a fantastic h-back and you would prefer him to be uh you know on the end end of the line there or uh used a sort of a swiss army knife in different situations not necessarily uh running the ball so um you know it's if things stay put and everyone stays healthy it's a serviceable group and the top of it is elite obviously mm-hmm. with eric mm-hmm. Kennedy brooks but uh you know there's just not much margin for error as far as uh, injuries concerned brian asimo over there trying to be slick on twitter saying he misses running the ball and posting Danny pictures Stuckman of him too. being the running back you know <laughs> 
he's not slick. They're not risking that dude on offense, but it's no. it, it it nonetheless it is alarming. And I still blame Jay Bulware for not being able to secure the letter of intent of important running backs for like two years straight. Even though partially, like I even I even talked to um, Gerald Goodridge, the guys over at Bernard Nation, him and uh, Kyle. Those are those are two great dudes that just happen to be Longhorn fans. Good and and he, they got in my in my DMs, and he's like, "What the hell is going on with the running back room?" I was like, "Dude, I don't, I can't even explain to under, I can't even un- begin to under- understand what's going on." And he brought up the one about Texas, how they used their quarterback, right? About being a running back. And I said, I blame Jay Bulware. And he's like, yeah, that as soon as Jay Bulware came to Texas staff, their tight ends and their special teams immediately got worse. So I'm sticking to that theory. And with Gerald kind of solidifying that theory for me, I'm just going to keep on running with that. Um, what about, I mean, and you mentioned Danny Sussman and we mentioned, we mentioned Brian Asamoa and there's Deshaun White, Caleb Kelly, David Aguebu. uh, who, who else am I missing? There's the, the linebacker room after the Tim Kish era in under the Brian Odom era is a fresh, a, br- a breath of fresh air in which you know you have depth. Nick Benito, how am I forgetting this man? Nick Benito, Marcus Stripling, how, like, such a breath of fresh air of competent linebacker play, elite linebacker play, knowing where they're supposed to go, knowing where they're at, and simply just raising the level of competition. How did we get from Tim Kish in a player that he didn't deserve in... Corey Nelson. Corey Nelson. He he did not deserve Corey Nelson. Brian Odom <laughs> deserved all the Corey Nelsons ever and Tim Kish did not deserve Kenneth Murray the Brian what o- like- I'll say is that it took a shockingly short amount of time for the ineptitude of Mike Stoops and Tim Kish to uh be put into perspective that's what I don't get about the linebackers yeah, it, I mean it's just it's you know it's not a simple fix I mean the gap discipline during Kim, Tim Kish's tenure was horrible that was on display especially in 2017 and during the georgia game Mm -hmm. no one knew where to be and then it seemed like it was almost fixed overnight just by a regime change and i'm sure i'm sure one gapping helped i mean that's that's pretty rough yeah and 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 i'm sure one and going from a two gap scheme where you're catching the offensive lineman and trying to figure out where you're going which will delay the linebacker response and make their reads more difficult and going to a one gap scheme and making their reads simpler and playing faster with their hair on fire. I'm sure that changes things, but the fact that you go from that kind of linebacker play under Kish to Brian Odom and immediately Kenneth Murray got, we we talked to him at big to media days last time we were there together. And he's like, I love that dude. He's always answering my questions. I have a million questions and he's always there to help. And He's taken me far and beyond what I thought I could be. He became a first-round draft pick. Like, hello. And just the, the the linebacker room night and day from not just even from a, a a product on the field perspective, a depth perspective. We, we Danny Stutzman, Shane Witter, who we 
people raved about is like getting like lost in the fold in in is a guy that is a legitimate dude brian asimo who i loved out of ohio there's so much depth there's so much talent and like you said pretty like, great problem to have like what the hell were they doing beforehand in which it's night and day like it, it wasn't accountability and and i know part of it is the one gap thing where it makes the reads easier where they could play faster but still it, it's just unreal to me how that had changed overnight like just like immediately with the same exact players that tim mike tim and mike had that it was handed over to brian odom and and out and coach alex grinch it's 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 crazy for me to believe and alex grinch said that and here's the thing 2018 like i was saying 2018 wasn't that long ago right i mean could you have imagined i mean people are talking about this ou defense in 2021 being one of the most promising groups in the country at this point from a talent perspective a depth perspective you're i gonna mean make me sad you're gonna make me sad could you imagine what alex grinch could have done with the defense that had charles walker stephen parker and ahmad thomas He might have properly um, gotten everything out of him. And Jordan Bannister. Evans. You, you remember that? I mean, PJ and Banasaur, a guy who would have fit perfectly into Alex Grinch's scheme. And uh, yep. somehow just didn't work out with Mike Stoops. I mean, and Kerry Cook. So, I mean, it's just oh, there players who you can go back on and say, what if they got to play with Alex Grinch? I mean, it's... Imagine Stephen Parker. Roy Manning, like, I mean... And in Will Sunderland, should he had he not gotten in trouble, imagine those guys growing year after year after year and improving under Grinch. And like this year, they said Alex Grinch talked about Justin Broyles, this dude, leader, leader, voice of a team, very well respected in the locker room, making a massive leap in the offseason to be maybe a contributor to the season. Yeah. Like. What has what has changed? Be culture, accountability. Yeah, all of the above, all of the above at this point, and that's become readily apparent. And it's not to bag on Mike. It's just I don't understand. <laughs> I, I mean, a little, like, a little bit sure, but it's unbelievable just how just like like that it the the light switch changed, especially for the linebackers, for the defensive backs. A little bit longer process. We understand this, but for the linebackers, and of course, they had the benefit of having a defensive line with Ronnie Perkins, Jalen Redmond, Perry and Winfrey, etc. Okay, they had the benefit of those guys being up front and killing everybody in front of them. But let's be real: the linebacker play, despite that, still still miles ahead of where they were. Just unbelievable to me, and. One of the things we talked, we I noticed on the depth chart is an or. Of course, everything is an or. Billy Bowman listed first before Cradell. Did you did you see that picture of Billy Bowman where his triceps are as large as my face? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he physically ready right off the bat. I mean, he he went to work immediately. It's it's readily apparent. At a, I mean, he having a spring really helped immensely obviously but uh i mean one thing i also noticed billy bowman um you know look at the kick returner on the depth chart it's billy bowman and mario williams 
Giddy up. Isn't that wild? I mean, the and, <laughs> in the modern game has become a lot less exciting because, I mean, it seems like it's a touchback about 80% of the time. But uh, if we see them get the ball in their hands in those situations, it's going to be fun. Because in And Billy Bowman is a prospect in which Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch were like, you know what? We're going to see what where he fits best, and we might fight over him because he can be as effective on offense as he can be on defense, and he's going to be in the nickel, and which is a, a place that I thought he would be successful at. I, Justin Harrington right now at cornerback, do you expect that to stay? Or do you think he's going to be like a Trey Honestly, Norwood if, guy? With Harrington, if that's the case still, then it's probably going to be the case because he's been working there for a long time. It sounds like... Grinch just likes what he sees there. And, uh, you know, he rotates his corners plenty. So Justin's going to get plenty of shots there. So, I mean, he's going to see some game action. So, and, you know, he's, you know, he's 6'2", 210 pounds. I mean, he's exactly, of course, what Grinch wants. So, uh, you know, it's, he's going to be, you know, going up against big 12 receivers that are, you know, probably three or four inches shorter than he is. So, uh, Maybe a little quicker than him, but you know they're guys who are not going to challenge him for jump balls. That's going to sure. be very useful when they play Iowa State when they have those massive tight ends. Yes, no more Buki matched up on Charlie Kolar. Oh my god! Speaking of dramatic <laughs> oh things from god. the past in OU football lore, isn't that un- un- is just isn't that unbelievable to think though. about? Just it, I don't. Mm. And in credit to Buki, the man yeah. tried his best. He's trying. He Here's tried his yeah, best. Last year, he did a great job against little slot receivers in the Big Twelve. He did a fantastic job against those guys last yeah, year. He was in position guys to make plays, like him, basically. Yeah, but when he was matched up against guys who were, you know, a six, foot taller than him, taller than him. He had didn't have much choice but to hold in those situations. So, uh, and that's you know. He shouldn't have been out there matched up with guys like that. And, and, you know, in the second matchup against Iowa State, he wasn't. You saw more of Trey Norwood. You did. there was a reason for that. So, Mm -hmm. and speaking of which, big props to Trey Norwood on making the roster with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Dude, I was so excited. I was like. so awesome. That that Hall of Fame game, he made several plays in the game with the Dallas Cowboys. And. You know, and Trey uh, Brown making the roster in Seattle. As Seattle, well. of course, wonderful. Yeah, and it's just gonna keep on rolling. It's gonna keep on rolling. And I, I was so excited to learn that Norwood had had earned that spot, that roster spot, because that first game, you know, I went on with the the those the SB Nation affiliate with the Steelers and talked to them about Trey Norwood. You know, his seventh round pick. We, I was surprised he got selected, and it said like, listen, we have two years of tape where he was skinny, he got hurt, he got bulked up, and he looked like a totally different player the last half of the year where he was everywhere. And he is a guy that can make plays, and I wonder if that's what they intend to do with Justin Harrington, if we're being honest, at OU right now, as a guy that he can play safety, he can play corner, who who knows? But props to Trey Norwood for making that roster and filling out a spot for them. I, I'm, I was genuinely surprised, but also quite happy another, for him. This is another big endorsement for Grinch and Roy Manning. Of it's course, 100%. Huge. Like, especially for a Steeler team that prides itself on defense. Seventh round defensive back that 
you know, you're taking a chance on, you know, good for him. But man, football season is like, like we had football this past Saturday. It was Nebraska, Illinois, right? Real football this week. What, what other games are you looking forward to? Other than OU, Tulane this weekend, Georgia, Clemson. Are there any other games that you are looking forward to? Texas and the Louisiana Lafayette Ragin' Cajuns. I guess they're the University of Louisiana now. They're the artist formerly mm-hmm. known as uh, Louisiana mm-hmm. Lafayette. But anyway, that's a team that beat Iowa State a year ago and a team yep. that is in the top 25 this year. Would we put it past Texas to lay a stinker here? No, we wouldn't. No. And we hope it happens. Especially with Sark saying that their quarterback play is not up to snuff, which nobody is really surprised. I mean, they're starting Hudson Card over Casey Thompson, and people thought Casey Thompson was the next coming of Vince Young after he threw those 10 total passes against Colorado in the bowl game. But, uh, man, I'm excited. I'm excited for... I'm excited. It's football season. I know there are a lot of things going on in the world right now. I know there is a lot of other things going on, but I'm just excited to finally get back to fandom. Finally, to even maybe go to the stadiums and go to the games, uh, experience that that again. It'll be something pretty special, especially uh, this Saturday, concerning the circumstances. Absolutely, absolutely. But. I'm 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 out of stuff, man. Do you have anything you want to say? We've covered a lot. We've we've gone into this all very extensively, and I think this was a productive chat. Especially especially with JP, and I'm I'm glad he came. I'm JP's glad he came a good on. Dude. He's you know salt of the earth, good guy. And everybody that's listening to this, go follow that blog. Go go follow Fear the Wave. They are hilarious and They're quality great, yeah. wholesome content. Yeah. Also, if, if you enjoy college football, and you know. As they call them, bad tweets. I mean, bad tweets on Twitter are really good tweets sometimes. So, you know, they're they're, they're a quality follow. Go give them a follow. I'm gonna I'm gonna end I'm gonna end the podcast with this before everything else. Um, I'm gonna recommend a show t- to you if you haven't watched already. Have you Have you seen Ted Lasso? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, I've seen Ted Lasso. I've, I, I've only seen the first two episodes of this new season. Though. I just recently started and oh you just recently started the whole thing i just recently started the whole thing okay gotcha been blowing my mind but anyways <laughs> for those good. that listen to the podcast thank you guys for listening to us thanks for joining us weekly we're excited that football's back and we're gonna be doing post-game podcasts once again excited for that uh, you can follow us at crimsonandcreammachine.com. You can follow us on Twitter at CC Machine. You can follow Jack at Daylary Shields. You can follow me at Robbie and CCM. You can follow Alan Kenny at Blade Homerism. You can follow Stephen Brown at OEUpdateSB. Thanks for listening, guys. We're looking forward to another football season with everybody. And check you guys later. <laughs>